0: to listen on as I read Romans chapter 5 verse 11 although that's the sermon text but I think I might read verses 1 through 11 just for the sake of continuity verse 11 is a summary and a conclusion uh and well I have a lot to say about it but let me read let me read these 11 verses to you therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. and not only that here's the new the new verse and not only that but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation and let us pray together our gracious father in heaven we thank you for uh, the text of romans all of it every word every verse every word every one was breathed out by you as precious manna from heaven to sustain your people in the wilderness and continually the oil of grace drips down to your church through the reading and the preaching of your word. And though these things come to us through much weakness and even through the trembling and and uh, the weakness of preaching, we ask you now, O oh God, that the power, the power of your word would be apparent in the inner man. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This was a sermon I didn't want to preach, if I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, but... I don't think the Lord really gave me a choice, again, if I'm being honest. I had hoped and strived uh, with great difficulty and ultimately uh, failing uh, to compose a sermon on Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Uh, but for the life of me, I could not get those verses to cooperate, and I just simply could not round off that sermon with verse 11. And so the Lord frustrated my plans and, uh, and let me also say, as I think was apparent to you, I had more than enough to say in verses 9 and 10 as it was. So here we are with a sermon on Christian joy. It was a sermon I didn't want to preach. Because the subject is so difficult, and here's part of the difficulty. If I can just be honest once more, and that is that we all really ought to be more joyful. And I am including myself in this. This is part of the difficulty. It is facing our own sin and our inadequacy as Christians. When I think about the chief defect in most Reformed churches, which includes our own, it is a lack of joy. And I'm not talking about the kind of false joy that is put on in so many churches today and by so many Christians today. The superficial kind of easygoing mentality so many Christians, as I say, put on. That is a false joy. But I'm talking about the real thing. The grace of the Holy Spirit appearing in the heart of the believer and in his worship. Well, do you know, and again, I'm speaking to our own church. This is not a sermon I wanted to preach, but here we are. Sometimes our services, I'm not even saying I agree with this entirely, but sometimes our services are compared to funerals. And I wonder if there isn't some truth in that. But again, I confess I'm afraid to face this. The question which is before us is how can we be more joyful? Is that something we want and are we willing to change to get it? Well, let me begin by telling you something that Mart Lloyd-Jones has to say about this subject, the subject of Christian joy, and he, like me, preached a sermon on this single verse. He says two things. First, that joy is the hallmark of a true Christian faith. The hallmark. Not something incidental or secondary, but the thing which really distinguishes Christian faith. And I might just add to that what the Apostle Paul says later on in this uh, in this same book, uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, the kingdom of God is in eating and drinking. It's not sometimes the things we think it is. The things we Christians tend to argue over, but it is this. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the stuff of the kingdom of God. And so he says the hallmark of a true Christian faith is joy. The second thing he says, and this really is where the difficulty lies, and I wonder if this convicts you in the same way it convicts me. He says there is something seriously wrong with the Christian of whom this is not true. Something seriously wrong he means of the one for whom joy is not the hallmark of his faith. And he goes on to say, very simply, it is sinful. It's sinful. Now, let me ask you this. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you agree with Mart Lloyd-Jones has to say that it is actually sinful not to rejoice with great joy. In the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And do you see joy as one of the chief characteristics of the Christian man? The man that is who has been justified. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. And who is at peace with God. Do we see the sin in not rejoicing? Do you realize that in failing to rejoice all the time. All the time. I I won't set the standard any lower than that. Always rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in God always, Paul says. Again, I say rejoice. Do you realize what an insult that is to the majesty of God? And the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Not to rejoice in all that he has done. Do you realize, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you why it's so sinful, do you realize how much you are impoverishing yourself every day as a Christian not to enjoy always the gift of salvation, but to always be fretting with sinful worry and things like that. But do you realize at the same time, let me offer a third reason it's sinful. Do you realize how much it impoverishes the witness of the church for us not to be rejoicing in God? Ask yourself, when people come into this church, what do they see? What do they witness? Are they aware of this great, uh, of this sense, I mean, of great rejoicing in God? Now, that's a question I think we ought to ask ourselves more often, taking Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 uh, together. And verse 11 is just the end. But the whole picture, the question we ought to ask as he paints this picture of the Christian man is, do we look like that? As a church and as individuals, do we look like the people Paul is describing? And if we discover that we do not, certainly that is something worth exploring and examining as to its causes. As for instance, if we discover that we lack joy. Well, as I said, I have a lot to say on joy here. I I didn't think I could preach a sermon on this voice, uh, this verse, and this subject, but do you know? Now I believe I can. And let me tell you all I have to say. First, let us try to see how joy comes in here. Paul is telling us what is true of the man who's been justified. That's what we've seen. The consequences or the benefits that flow to the believer who has faith and who is justified. And you remember, there's a shorter catechism question which speaks like that. And it catalogs these same blessings. So the blessings and the benefits that flow to the believer through his justification... Or which come to him as a result of his justification. First, he is at peace with God. Technically speaking, peace is not justification. Peace is the fruit of justification. Now that I have been justified, the fruit of that is I am at peace with God. Amazing to say, but it's really true. Not only that, let's go on with Paul. I am standing in grace. My feet are planted in a place they shall never be taken from. If I am standing now in Christ, I shall ever stand in that grace. Not only that, but I as a Christian man who has been justified am rejoicing in hope of what is to come. Rejoicing in the glory of God. Or in in hope of the glory of God, he says. The coming glory. And so there we see and we notice the first instance of a mention of joy. Joy in what is coming. But then we find the same word again in verse 3, although it isn't translated as joy in most translations. It, it's translated as glory. We glory, uh, let me see how he puts it. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. I wonder if any of your translations, this is New King James, has, has, has rejoiced there. But it's actually the same word as, as verse 2 and verse 11. And so we could just as easily say not only that, but we rejoice in tribulations. So that we recognize immediately that the Christian is not only rejoicing with respect to that which is coming to him, namely the future glory, but he is also, Paul immediately adds, rejoicing at the prospect of what he is facing today in the present world. This sad world of sorrows and tribulations. He is able to rejoice even in the face of that, in particular, because he knows what uh, such trials and tribulations are working in him, namely hope. In the future glory. Add to that this amazing experience in verse 5. Of uh, having the Holy Spirit pour forth the love of God into your hearts. Yes and do we know what that love is? Well Paul tells us all about it in verses 6 through 10. A love he says which is found at the cross. And which justifies me now and reconciles me to God. That is the love the Holy Spirit pours into the heart of the believer. But more than that, that love which we find at the cross gives me great certainty with respect to things future, things I await and hope to enjoy, such as, and I'm repeating the arguments of verses 9 and 10, just before verse 11 where we presently stand, deliverance from the coming wrath and salvation found in Christ's life in the resurrection. Not only have we been just uh, reconciled by him, but we shall be saved by his life, he says. And that brings us right up to verse 11. But before we come to verse 11, let me just note here that this is a picture of one who is enjoying a great deal already. And twice he has been said uh, uh, to rejoice in things present and in things to come. This is not a picture of one who is sad and defeated. Picture we see of one who is already rejoicing. And yet... In characteristic fashion, Paul is not content to leave things here, but he continues to press things further. He throws in another thing and he says, not only that, as though to say, do you know, I'm still not done. My picture or my portrait of the justified believer is not complete. Let me throw one more thing in. And so that is the answer to my question, how does joy come in? It comes in like this, as the conclusion or the completion of his picture of the Christian man. As though to say the picture really would be incomplete without it. Here is yet another reason he says to be happy in Christ. Despite all that we suffer for him and all of the sorrows that attend this sad world in which we live. Another reason that the justified believer is blessed beyond comparison. And he really ought to know it. And display that he knows it at all times. Not only does present reconciliation through Christ make me assured of future salvation by his life, the thought of verse 10, but it even makes me rejoice now in the present. That is the thought, verse 11. Not only, not only am I rejoicing in what is to come to me, made certain uh, based upon what I possess now, verse 10. Not only does that make me rejoice, but I am even rejoicing now in the gift of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. Still, in the way Paul puts this, and also in the way that we interact with what he's saying here, because we are living, breathing Christians as well, and we have to ask ourselves whether our experience of the Christian life is anything like this, or measures up to this, we have to recognize that even Paul seems to indicate in the way he puts this, not only that, but that there is something almost surprising or improbable about this. That we should rejoice now in this world of sorrows. This sad world in which we live. Which is why he puts it like he does. Of course I can see how the hope and the certainty of what is coming to me. Would make me rejoice and be assured. I really have no difficulty about what you say in verse 10 Paul. But I also have to say that my present portion often makes me sad. Perhaps more often than not. It is difficult Paul. To rejoice in the present. Don't you know that? And that is the difficulty I think. That we do know. And that we all know well. And it is the very difficulty I am addressing. The fact that we really aren't rejoicing as we should. And that we're still protesting to what Paul is saying in verse 11. Oh yes I can look into the future and anticipate the glories to come. And I'm happy to think of them. But when I turn back my eyes to the present. I find that I am sad and that I rejoice no more. Well, what Paul says to you when you say that, or you even begin to think it, what he's saying is that your view of what it means to be justified, what it means to be at peace with God and to stand in grace, is still defective. You're still selling God short in your life. You still have an incomplete picture of what it is to be a Christian. If you are not able, even now... To rejoice in your present portion, uh, granting, as Paul himself grants, that the best things still await you and will be found only in heaven. We are not suggesting that heaven can be found on this earth, at least not entirely. But the things that, ha- that God has given you now, just the foretaste and the first fruits are an overabundance of joy. You already have Christ, and through him reconciliation, peace with God. And that is reason enough to rejoice. I wonder if you believe that. Reason not only to look forward to the future with certainty, but to rejoice in the present, today and always. And so Paul seems to be saying that for all he has said. That the picture of the Christian man he is painting here, and it is a familiar one because it describes his own experience, his own experience of grace is not complete until you can add, not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Well, What I want to do with this idea is to make a series of observations about Christian joy, which Paul says characterizes the life of the man Who is justified. He is a man who is joyful. At least he ought to be. And the first thing I would note. Is the way he presents joy. Joy is not something. Hanging in the air. It's not something open. And available to. All men alike. Still less. Is joy. Something that occurs. In the realm of human emotions. No. Joy here is presented. Let me underline this. Because this. This makes it fit. Within the picture. Uh, and the portrait we've been considering, joy is grace. It is a grace of the Holy Spirit. It is it is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, His Son. It is another gift or grace that comes only through the instrumentality of Jesus Christ, which is why he says we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have reconciliation. And so joy is presented as the precious fruit Of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. And it can only be known in that way. In other words, if you want to know how it is that a man would be made to rejoice in precisely the way Paul is describing it here. You have to understand how it is that joy comes into a man's life. And joy doesn't come into a man's life uh, from this world. or, Or even from the best things of this world. The best gifts that God gives you. Your own family. That isn't what he's describing. Here is a flower, as Thomas Brooks would say, of all the graces that doesn't grow in nature's garden. And so you won't find it anywhere in this world, not even, as I say, in the best things. And you will look for it in vain in your own heart if you seek it apart from Him. You will only find it, let me state again, as Paul says, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. It is only as you have been reconciled to God Through faith in Jesus Christ that you can rejoice in the way that Paul is describing. And so first of all, the first thing I would say, as I said, it isn't just hanging in the air. No, it is grounded in something very important. It is grounded in the message of the gospel. It is a Christian grace. You have to be a Christian, first and foremost, to have and to know this joy. Only a Christian can know this joy and no other man. Without faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot enjoy the gift of salvation he gives. Oh, but just as soon as you begin to experience and to know the gift of salvation, just uh, just that soon do you begin to rejoice in it. In other words, you begin to enjoy it. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It's not a small portion he's talking about. He's talking about the joy which he has. My joy might be in you. In an abundant fashion. An overflow. An excess of joy in the life of the believer. That is the gift of God and Jesus Christ his son. That is what uh, we ought. Or, or that is what ought to characterize our lives. And our experience as Christian. As Christian people. But the question is. is Jesus once uh, in saving us, for us to be full of joy and his joy, the question is, are we? Are we rejoicing? Do we know his joy and are we full of it? But the next thing I would notice is that it is joy in God. Rejoice. Uh, let's see, how does he put it? Let me turn back. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in God through Jesus Christ through whom we have received reconciliation. You see, every word is important here. And it's worth noting. The thing that we enjoy through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, and I should have said the person, is God. Do you remember? And sometimes we do forget this. The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, question and answer one. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and To enjoy Him forever. Sometimes we forget the end, don't we? It isn't just to to glorify Him, but to enjoy Him forever. We are meant to enjoy God, even as we're glorifying Him. That is man's chief end. That is God's chief desire for His people. Not only that we would glorify, but enjoy Him always, every day. Robert Haldane says, the Christian's joy is all in God. God, even the, the God, even His own covenant God, is the great and ultimate object of His joy. For now, as we see, the Christian is one formerly at enmity with God, Romans chapters one through three. Formerly, one uh, for whom all of His happiness in sin was found in this world, yet one now, to His own wonder. Who is able to rejoice in God. It really is remarkable. God has become for the sinner. Who has been reconciled. The source of his happiness and joy. And the only source. He now cannot conceive. Of any happiness apart from him. Joy in God. So that the whole of the Christian life. Is now seen to be. A continual enjoyment of him. Indeed. Here is a picture of the joys and happiness of heaven itself. I remember uh, Jonathan Edwards at the end of his book on charity saying that heaven is a world of love. A world uh, fitted and suited and full of the love of God. Well, let me add to that. Heaven is a world of heaven. Uh, heaven is a world of joy, I mean. In every possible sense. Where the saints ever delight in God. Their joy is always found in Him. He is the continual source and the continual object of their joy. But so too, let me say, not completely, but so too does this world become a place of joy to the Christian now that he's been reconciled to God. He begins to enjoy even now what he will enjoy forevermore in heaven, which is God himself. But here I think we ought to see as a second point uh, or, or we ought to define joy. What does he mean by joy? Three times he speaks of joy in these verses. Verse 2, verse 3, and verse 11. And every time he does so, this is something John Murray, uh, I, I'm afraid I left uh, that uh, book on my desk in, uh, at home. I had hoped to bring it, but he does a wonderful job of describing that the joy which Paul is describing in these verses has this exultant character. This sense of jubilation. And that is also conveyed in the way in verse three, but really you could do this in any of the verses. It's translated glory. We're glorying in God. I think we didn't sing this hymn. Thankfully, there's many hymns. I sometimes lament on a subject. There's so few hymns on a subject, but on joy, there are many. I, I think in uh, hymn 502, this idea of this, this jubilation is, is, is captured so well. Let me read just the first four verse. Rejoice, ye pure in heart. Rejoice, give thanks and sing your festal banners. Wave on high the cross of Christ your King. Exultant joy. Glorying in God. And and yet, let me immediately add, at the same time, this joy is something which is steady because it is constant. Joy is something we see. That is an addition to our assurance of salvation, but closely connected to it. The man who is sure is also the man who is rejoicing. He is rejoicing because he's sure. But let us not confuse them. They are separate graces. Joy is an addition to salvation. Here is my definition of joy. Joy in God through Jesus Christ our Lord is an inward delighting in God himself. It is an enjoyment of him for his own sake, but it is Beyond that, and at the same time, an enjoyment in the gift of salvation. Do you remember how Jesus uh, describes the angels in heaven when a single sinner turns? There's great rejoicing in heaven at the repentance of one sinner. The joys of reconciliation. Even the angels in heaven rejoice at such a thing. And if they can, cannot we with them? Rejoicing in our own salvation. Usually the joy which I am describing attends conversion. And that's how Jesus describes it in that passage. This is something which I think many of you know. It's something that I know. The thing that was most remarkable about my conversion. Was the joy that attended it. But let me also say. Because I said this is a joy which is steady. That it it can also be found at the altar of grace. It is always available to the believer there. Where reconciliation is known. At the mercy seat. And what I'm speaking of here is prayer. By prayer. By our hearts going out to God. And seeking him through Jesus Christ. Aware of the gift of salvation. That is found in his priesthood. And what we will know and find there. At the altar of grace. Is precisely this. Joy in God. Through Jesus Christ. Through whom we have received. Reconciliation. The joys of. Reconciliation. And here is a grace which Jesus Christ is our great high priest. Willingly and freely gives to us whenever we seek it from him. uh, Just the kind of grace that helps the poor and downcast believer in times of need. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. Grace to help in time of need. Joy. And so Christian joy is a delighting in God and his gracious character. It is a happiness in Christ Christ. That does not depend upon the circumstances of life. It is a foretaste of the happiness of heaven. And it is a present taste of the sweet measure of grace. Allotted to the believer in the present time. More than enough to make him happy in Christ for the time being. Even though, as I say, the best things are still to come and they await us. What is more, and indeed this is one of the chief characteristics of Christian joy. Which is unlike Uh, The kind of carnal happiness that sometimes people confuse with joy. And that which makes it almost improbable is that what Paul is describing here defies reason. He is describing a man about whom you would think he has no reason to be joyful and happy. The, The man who rejoices even though he is most afflicted by the world. And so it would seem he has the least reason to be joyful. And yet in this, not only does his faith in Christ, but his joy in God appears in the midst of affliction, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of finding the world is not for him, but against him because he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. But in this, we discover that the joy that Paul is describing, and we ought to have seen it already in verse three, does not depend on the circumstances of this world. It is not found because of this world, but in spite of it. It is just at the moment That things seem to be going against us. As in the case for instance of the martyrs. That the joy of the Christian. His joy in God shines forth most beautifully and most gloriously. He rejoices. Because he realizes all that is true of him. As described in these verses. And seeing the greatness of God's love. And feeling it in his own heart. And beyond that the firmness of his own position. Being at peace with God, standing in grace, never to fall again. Realizing that he is now and forever safe and secure in the state of salvation. He comprehends something of God's awesome purposes. And his heart swells up with joy in God, though the world is against him. That's what Paul is describing here. More than that, and I think I've already said this, but let me state it again. It is a gracious influence of the Holy Spirit. Not something that you work up in your own heart. But a gift that you receive and that you find at the altar of grace. It is the Holy Spirit who pours the love of God into our hearts. And who makes us glad and gives us joy. But at the same time, as I've been stressing, as a grace. It is capable of degrees. It's something that you experience to a great measure one day. And then another day you find it's all but gone. We find at times in our lives, such as a conversion, a joy that is almost beyond comparison. And it's an exalting in God that it would seem brings us into heaven itself. Living on the mountaintop. But at other times we find, and too often I think, uh, that this characterizes our lives as Christians, that our joy is gone. It's all dried up. And where did it go? What has happened? You have to realize. That we as Christian people, though we will never lose the grace in which we stand, we can never lose our salvation, we can lose our joy. Just like we can lose our assurance. The other great theme of these verses. Or you can lose your sense of the love of God or that you're at peace with him. And so we may at times and indeed too often fail to rejoice. Just as we fail at other times to realize our true position and begin to doubt, which is to say to lose faith or to waver as to our assurance of salvation. And what do I say to that to the believer who's lost his joy? Well, my answer is that you are sinning just as it is a sin not to believe in God. Unbelief is always a sin, so a lack of rejoicing. Is always a sin. I've already said that haven't I. Another way I could put this. Is that joy is a duty. It is commanded in scripture. We are commanded as God's people to rejoice. And it is tragic really ever. That we would find any difficulty in this. Given the greatness of what God has done for us. Well let me make this clear again. By stressing that joy is a duty. It is a commandment. This is very similar. If you think of the sin of 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 not rejoicing, uh, being similar to the sin of not believing. You think of what Jesus says to his disciples when they were doubting. He says, where is your faith? Why is it that you are now unbelieving? And it's funny, when he says, where is your faith, it's it's almost as though he said, "I, I read this in a sermon, did you leave it at home? Where did you put it? How is it that you are not now believing? We can say the same thing of joy, when we find that we are lacking in joy or that we're lacking in faith or assurance, beloved, that is not a time for excuses. That is a time for self self-exam- uh, examination and a time to come back to these verses and to ask ourselves, now where did I put my joy? And there's no greater help to our joy, that is to say, our ability to rejoice in all of scripture. Than these eleven verses. If only we would take them to heart. But here is a final point. I think it would be helpful to explore to explore some hindrances to our joy, since that, in many ways, is our subject. Why is it that we don't rejoice as we might? And the first great hindrance is sin, sin which is unmortified. Sin which is carelessly indulged or not watched against. As though justification were licensed to sin. Uh, soon Paul will deal with this. In Romans chapter 6. To the man who says, let us sin that grace may abound. That is a man who can know no joy. To sin like this. Is uh, that this type of sin uh, is a thief of our own joy. If we would be zealous to enjoy God, we must be zealous to repent of sin. Number two, a preoccupation with this world. Another thief of Christian joy. We are meant, as Paul says, this is the older translations, we are meant to joy in God, or rejoice in God. And yet, how many, if we are honest, of our hearts are so full of the thoughts and cares for this world that we think little of Him. And then do we wonder why we are not rejoicing more than we are. Here again, John's words, 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, familiar words to the Christian. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And do do you notice in Romans chapter 5, not a word about this world except its tribulations. No, but all has to do with God and the gift of salvation in His Son. A gift that we are meant to enjoy. And if we are not enjoying it, here perhaps is a reason we are not. Namely, a love of the world. A sinful love of the world. Number three, introspection. A sinful preoccupation with self. The kind of Christian who's always taking his spiritual pulse. Well, let me say this. Even though Paul is describing the experience of the believer here, he does not mean for us to be constantly preoccupied preoccupied with ourselves or trying always to measure the extent of our own graces. That's what I mean when I say taking our spiritual pulse. No, what he is describing here and what makes the Christian so joyful as he describes him is that he's preoccupied with God and what he has done already, what he's doing now and what he will do. A sense of wonder at God himself and his grand purposes on display in his son. Take your eyes off yourself and behold the work of God. If anything, that's how I would describe the message of Romans chapter five. Rejoice in Him always. It is a joy in God, not in yourselves. There will always, and I think we know this well, always in this world, be more than enough sin in the believer to make him sad if only he takes time to take stock of them. But if he takes his eyes off himself and he looks again upon the work of a gracious Savior on His behalf, he will begin again to rejoice in God. I think this is captured beautifully. This contrast I'm describing in Romans chapter 7. When Paul says, wretched man that I am. But he immediately adds, having just said, as to myself, a woeful and wretched person. And who will deliver me from myself, in essence, he says. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. As soon as he takes his eyes off himself, he begins to rejoice again. There's a great lesson there. Number four. A superficial view of salvation. I spoke of this earlier in the sermon. People who are superficial uh, in their view of joy and in their view of Christianity in general. How many short-circuit the idea of joy and try to start with it? Who make it all seem easy? But Paul tells us that you can't short-circuit joy. You can only get this joy, and I wonder if you find this surprising. You can only get this joy by starting... With the doctrines of sin and the wrath of God. If you're not willing to start there, then you really ought not to bother. Romans chapter 1. And then work things out from there. And then perhaps you will arrive at what I am describing. In other words, to grapple with the doctrine. This is how, and doctrine, by the way, is what's always missing in uh, superficial Christians. And superficial churches. Even though they pretend to be joyful. This is how Mart Lloyd-Jones puts it. If you simply desire spiritual entertainment, you will not know the joy of the Lord. We must reflect on these things ourselves. A butterfly-type Christian never knows much about glorying in God. That is always the result of facing the great doctrines, looking at them frequently and dwelling on them in your mind. And and he's saying what what I said earlier. uh, Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 are a great help to you. If only you will take time to dwell upon them. But too many present a view of the Christian life and Christianity and God that is superficial and flimsy and lacks substance. And I am not surprised that such people lack lasting joy in God. Number five, prayerlessness. How can we get anything from God, beloved, if we do not seek it from him first? Number six, trials misunderstood as though by trials God were against us. How often do we find in the midst of affliction. The thing we lose first is our joy. Have you understood nothing at such times. Go back to these verses. But number seven. And this is the chief reason by far. And it is a failure to grasp. The great doctrine of justification by faith. The chief cause or hindrance. To our joy. To get justification wrong. Is to make joy impossible. This is a joy. Only the man who is justified knows. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through Him. You see, that is the picture. But it starts with justification. And are we clear about this? Do we understand what it means to be justified? And are we clear about this doctrine as to ourselves? Can we say of ourselves, I have been justified and I am at peace with God. In other words, don't rush things. You have to work through chapters one through four and be clear about those first. And only then can you say with Paul, therefore, having been justified by faith and go on from there. Chapter five, verse one. But if you're able to say that and if you really can see that God has forgiven your sin and that Christ has taken it away by the uh, by the cross and not only that. For this is the full picture of justification, but that he has not only pardoned you, but at the same time imputed his own perfect righteousness to you, so that all now is well between you and God. And now nothing can undo what God has done. God has already declared you righteous and made you one of his sons. And who shall overturn the verdict of God? If you have grasped this for yourself, you will rejoice. You will rejoice. Even in spite of yourself. O sinner. You will rejoice. You will rejoice in God. You will exalt and glory in his name. As the king of kings. And savior of sinners. Even one so vile as yourself. Not only will you see. That all that he says in verses. 1 through 10 is true. But you will also rejoice in God. Through Jesus Christ. Through whom we have now received reconciliation. And that is something we ought always to do, and something others ought always to notice and to see in us. And so, may this be, beloved, the hallmark of our Christianity, namely, our joy in God through Jesus Christ. Amen. And let us now come to the table. Mark chapter 14. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the to the Mount of Olives well, as I, I often like to say, and and you read verse 26 and you really get this picture. This is a picture of worship. And in many ways, this is the last worship service they had with Jesus. Not in many ways, it was. And, and what do we find uh, happening after the resurrection? Well, he meets with them on the first day and they have another worship service, the first Sunday. And we've been doing so ever since. But the reason I say that is because... I want to uh, I want to commend again to you the Lord's Supper. This is one of the ways that we are meant to commune with Christ our Lord. We're meant not only to sing praises and to come together and to remember his death and to celebrate that, but we're meant to commune with him at the table and with one another. Uh, and so that's what I'm inviting you to do today. I am inviting you as Christian people to to join with Christ at the table and to recognize again what it is uh, that is the source of your joy and your hope and your faith as Christian people. And that is the blood of the new covenant, which is seal, uh, which which seals and ratifies that covenant and enables you now to stand in that covenant, a covenant in which God says, I will remember their sins no more and I will write my law on their hearts. That's the thing we should all want to enjoy more and more and more. And there I just said it again. We're enjoying it. We're not just thinking about it as a theory, uh, as an intellectual postulate, but we're enjoying it. That's what Christ is offering to you here. And I invite you to partake of it. Uh, but as the book requires, I also have to fence the table. And I have to warn the wayward and the unrepentant uh, and and the careless sinner not to come. Uh, I... uh That's a difficult thing to say because just as soon as I say that, every Christian says, I wonder if that's me, at least every thoughtful one. But I still say it because I have to. And so I fence it. I fence from behind, not from in front. It's a matter of your conscience whether you take. But to every sincere believer who has turned from his sin and truly desires the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ and to enjoy it, I I ask you to come and to partake of the gift of the table. Uh, which Christ asks you to do it is by his own invitation with those words let us pray together our father in heaven we are grateful indeed for the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ your son and that is a gift which truly we wish to enjoy for ourselves not just to know in some intellectual way no one ever said a reformed church lacked intellect but perhaps do we lack something of, of that experience and the joy God, we, we are asking you to change us and to give us a greater joy. And we ask that it would start now at the table, the first test. And, and let us truly uh, find that you, Holy Spirit, are giving us the thing that we are seeking from Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.